0: This is the Preaching Podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope that these messages from Philippians have been encouraging for you. They've been helpful. Um, It's good to take a fresh look at some of these very familiar passages, especially from Philippians. Um, and the recurring theme that we've, uh, that we've been returning to has been unity. It's been about unity, and, and that's a much-needed theme for believers in these times, and especially for our church in these early, in these early days. And today we'll, we see a little bit of that same thing in Philippians 3. Um, we're going to talk about a call to spiritual maturity today. A call to spiritual maturity, and, and as Josh mentioned, we'll be, in, um, we'll be in chapter 3, and I want to call your attention to verse 15 and 16 to start off. Um, we're going to um, look at what I see as kind of the key verses in this text. Uh, so, verse 15 and 16 here it says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Verse 16, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Here we see Paul giving a charge to the believers in Philippi, a call to unity. And he says, "Therefore, let us therefore be thus minded. Let us all have the same mind. And then he says, and let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. You know, Josh has stated it before as we've talked about unity, that unity is not the same as uniformity. Um, I really like the Google ad. They ran a few years back when they were they were pushing the Android platform. The ad, the ad ended with this. It said, be together, not the same. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we all have to look alike. We all have to dress alike. We don't want to be the Mormon church, you know, where everybody comes in a white shirt, dark pants, and blue tie. And maybe we could ride our bicycles to church or something. But... Um, we don't, we don't all need to look the same. A church that, is, that has uniformity will be a church of people that all look the same. They dress the same. They have similar lives. They come from similar backgrounds. But that's not what God has called us to. God has called us to unity. And that means that we are to have the same mind. We are to live our life with the gospel in view. And so this is a call to unity as believers. Paul breaks this call down into several parts here. We're going to look at that. Um, number one, I want you to see a call to run. So let's look at verse 12 here, a call to run. And you know what? No doubt you've heard this portion of Scripture taught taught before where Paul talks about running a race, right? And he's reaching forth. And you've heard this taught and preached many times. Uh, Paul uses the analogy of a race, a runner, and a prize. You know, a runner that wishes to win his race has to do certain things to prepare in advance. We have to do certain things to be prepared to win that race. If we want to do it, we have to perform in a certain way. And, you know, we have to meet certain times. We have to keep things in mind as we run. And Paul calls us to run to pursue Christ and to pursue maturity as a believer. And so as we look at the call to run here, let's look at a couple of elements that Paul highlights for us to have. Uh, look at verse 12 here. It says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And then look at the first part of verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended You know what, Paul here, number one, or letter A would be, I guess, Paul had a proper self-assessment. He starts off by saying, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And then he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what, in sports of all kinds, you'll see examples. If you watch sports long enough, you'll see examples of of where there's a team or a participant that enters the game as the favorite, right? And they enter the game, and maybe by a long shot, they're the favorite to win that game. And they come in with that mindset, that we're the favorite, they're unprepared for the game. And as the the game goes on, you see that they start to get beat, they get surprised, the other team was more prepared, and then they lose. While they should have easily won that game, they end up losing. And part of our preparation as a runner in pursuit of Christ is to have the proper self-assessment. You know what, verse 12 and 13 starts with humility. Paul here wrote to the church at Philippi, and it would have been easy for the church, for the, for the believers there to look at Paul and say, boy, he's made it. You know, look at everything that he's been through. Look at all these things that he's done. He's riding from a place where he has achieved. But Paul starts by saying, you know, not, not as though I've already attained, either already perfect. And then he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I, I, I don't count myself to have made it already. The gospel humbled Paul. Compare these statements right there with, go back to verse 6 of this same chapter. Compare these statements now to how he described himself before salvation. He says, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul talked about how he was before he was converted, and he says, I, I was blameless before the law. But here you have Paul in verse 12 and 13 saying, I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet. And you know what? We need that humility. If we're going to run our race for Christ and do it right, it starts from humility. It has to start with that honest self-assessment of looking at ourselves and saying, you know what? I've got work to do. I haven't made it yet. You know what? Very few of us would, would ever say it consciously, would ever say to somebody, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I'm there. I, I've achieved. I've already made it. But often we cultivate that attitude and we cultivate that attitude that 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 we've made it and that we've achieved a certain level and that we're fine now And I can just coast I can coast along spiritually and we need to be careful not to give that assessment a mature person Will humbly admit that they haven't arrived And, and as we as we go along our spiritual race our spiritual pursuit we have to begin with humility if we're to reach that prize, so that was a a proper self-assessment, and then B a focus on the prize. Surely you've you've all, especially if your parents or maybe you've been to a little league game at some point, uh, either basketball or baseball, and you've seen a kid that was in the game physically, but not in the game mentally and uh, maybe they're out in the outfield and they're sitting there like picking dandelions or just looking around or waving at mom and then the ball comes and they either get hit with the ball or it just goes right past them and then they just watch. Um, Last year I coached little league basketball um, and I've coached uh, young kids soccer a number of times uh, over the last few years and they, you always get like two or three of those kids on your team. Like you've got a couple of kids that are just killers, right, and these kids know how to play and they've got the killer instinct but then you've got like one or two kids that are just lost. And, they, and you know where you, when you put them in the game, you know, okay, I've got to try to find like a strategic spot to put this kid in the game so he doesn't kill me in this game. Um, and you know what, as believers, we often get distracted in our race. It's easy for us to get distracted. Let's look at verses uh, 12 through 14 here. Verse 12 says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But then Paul says here, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul here says? I haven't attained and I'm not perfect yet. And since that's the case... Notice what he says here. He says, I follow after. I follow after. Paul basically says, look, since I'm not already there, this is my only option. I follow after. I must pursue it. And that should be our focus as well. You know what? I haven't made it yet. And that's not an excuse to quit. So instead, I'm going to follow after. I'm going to continue. I'm going to keep trying. You know what? Childlike faith has to meet our maturity here. You know what? As a child... you, you. Kids always just—they—they they want to get bigger. They can't wait till they get older. They can't wait till they get stronger. They can't wait till they can do more things. But sadly, as a Christian, we often get to a point where our attitude is, "Okay, I'm fine. You know, I'm here. I'm just going to coast it out, and and I'm good." And you know The next part of this verse here is these verses, verse twelve especially, verse twelve and thirteen are verses that if you read through them quickly, they're easy to just read and then go, "Huh." What did I, does anybody else ever do that when you're just speeding through and, you, and then you read, and especially a verse like 12 or 13 here where it repeats a few of the same words in a row and you're like, what, wait, he apprehended what? Who was apprehended? What, like what happened? And so I want to unpack that a little bit here. Look at verse 13, or actually verse 12 here. He says, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And then again in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Apprehend means to take hold of, to grab hold of. Um, I like the way uh, the CSB reads it here in verse 12. It says, "Not, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul basically says here, he says, I press on. I make every effort. I follow after To grab a hold of that which Christ has laid a hold of me for. Jesus had taken hold of Paul. Everybody remembers that story. Paul's on the Damascus Road, right? He's a spiritual elite. He's one of the Pharisees, and he's on that Damascus Road, and Christ strikes him down. And God changed his life in that that situation. And Jesus had taken a hold of him for a reason. And Paul says, I'm going to follow after, and I'm going to grab a hold of that for that same purpose. You know, God laid a hold of you the day you were saved, and God did it for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose, and we need to follow after and reach forth. Paul says, I'm trying to grab a hold of that purpose. I'm trying to pull it down. I'm trying to make that my own. You need to do the same thing. God, God laid a hold of you to conform you to his image. He laid a hold of you for you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to be following after. We need to be pursuing that. He did it to make you a gospel witness. God didn't save us just so we can then become perfect little people that live in our bubble. God wanted you to be a witness, and we need to pursue that. We need to encourage others. You know, it's those things that we need to follow after, Paul says there. We need to follow after. We need to lay hold of that. Continuing with focus on the prize, look at verse 13 here. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. I like, I like what Paul says here. There. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. And so this one thing I do. Paul says this one thing. You know what, it's very easy to become this jack of all trades, master of none. I don't know if you guys have ever met, like, uh, there's people that can build. and Believe me, I'm not talking about myself in any sense here. But there's people that can build, and they can, they can, they're, they're okay at carpentry, and then they can paint a little bit, and they can even do a little bit of electrical work, but they're not really good at any of it. You know, they can just do it all just like okay. And Paul says here, he says, this one thing I do. You know what, there's a profound simplicity in that statement. This one thing I do. You know, what one thing... Could you do in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? What one thing? Like forget all the peripheral things that are going on in our lives. What what one thing could you do? What one thing could you do to pursue the one thing that matters most? Negatively stated, what one thing could you give up that would help you run the race better? Listen, we all have things in our life that are distracting us. We all have things in our life that are pulling us down that are keeping us from running the race the way we ought to run, what one thing could you give up? What one thing could you focus on? Don't, est- don't underestimate the power of making one change. Paul continues that thought, and, and he tells us this one thing he does. Look at verse 13 here. He says, "...forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before." You know what? Any good runner that, that runs competitively, would tell you that you cannot look over your shoulder. If you are in a sprint, some kind of a sprint, or a marathon, like if you watch the Summer Olympics, those guys will never look over the shoulder. Now, like Usain Bolt might, because that dude is just a freak of nature, and he knows he's ahead of the race every single time, but a good runner will tell you that you cannot look over your shoulder. You're easily gonna stumble, you could fall, but you'll definitely lose momentum. And the reason is, you know what, you have to forget what's behind you. And so do we as Christians. We have to forget what's behind us, both good and bad. O'Brien puts it this way in his commentary. He says, he will not allow the achievements of the past, no matter how great, or the failures of the past, no matter how bad, to present his gaze from being firmly fixed on the finish line. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. He just forgets and he runs. You know what, I think Paul purposely did not distinguish one way or the other, saying you need to forget the bad or forget the good. We need to forget both. We need to move on. We need to forget both the good and the bad. You know, what? you may have experienced some bad failures in your life. You may have some things in your past that you were ashamed about. And maybe they're public, maybe they're private. We all have those situations. You may have had a tough upbringing but none of that has to determine your future. None of that has to determine your future. And at the same time, you know what? You may have some great achievements in your past. You may have accomplished some great things. But you need to stop putting your identity in those accomplishments. You need to stop putting your identity in those things that you've achieved. You know what? Consider the author here. Consider Paul. He persecuted Christians to the death. And yet, we don't find Paul saying, you know what, I'm... I'm limited now I'm limited now God can only do so much with me I'm damaged goods we don't find that from Paul he simply forgets as he runs he says I I do one thing I forget what's behind me and I reach forth for what's before me we should also follow his lead in forgetting about our achievements you know what in that way we aren't living in in the past we can't live in the past we have to press on you know what there are a lot of Uncle Rico Christians Does anybody remember Uncle Rico from that great movie, there he is, from that great movie, Napoleon Dynamite? Uncle Rico, what is he, what is he, right? He's the middle-aged former athlete who films himself throwing footballs, like constantly. You know, there's the one scene where he's out in the field and he's got his really bad-looking van there. And he's got the camera set up and he's just like throwing footballs one after the other. And he's like, he's just hoping that somebody will recognize his greatness He's still living in the past. You know what, many Christians today are living in the glory days of their past, and they're rendering themselves completely unprofitable in the present day. There's many Christians that are looking back at, the, at that time gone by and saying, well, look at what God was doing back in these days. And they're living, they're stuck in the past. And there's many of us that, that look at our life, and, and we look at some things that God had done through us in the past, and we're stuck in those moments and, and we're rendering ourselves unprofitable in the present. You'll miss the blessings of God in the present if you spend your life looking over your shoulder at the past. Don't spend your life looking over the shoulder at the, at the past saying, Well, look what God did for me back there. And look at, in living in those moments, we have to move on. And that's not to say that, that we make light. Of, of our failures, and we just go, well, whatever. You know, and that's and not to say that we don't remember the good things that God has done for us, but we do not live in those moments. God wants us to press on in the present. Paul knew a race is only one in the present moment, not in the past or the future. So we're talking about focusing on the prize. Let's move on to verse 14 here. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says he presses towards a mark. Our focus is the prize. But what does he say the prize is here? Notice that he says the prize is the call itself. He says the prize is the call itself. Look, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. That is the prize. The prize is not the benefits that God gives us when we follow him. The prize is not that we're elevated onto some pedestal when we have a great day or when we see somebody saved. The prize is not that one day we, we have this room filled and we've got to start looking at a building. That's not the prize. The prize is not that one day Keystone is, is looked at as, look at what this church plant did in just a year or just in two years. Look at where they're at now. That's not the prize. The prize is the high calling. The prize is the fact that we are able to co-labor with him. That is the prize. And when we, when we look at it as such, we'll find ourselves living in the present. We won't be looking towards the future only. We won't be just looking at the past. We'll be focusing on the high call itself. So we see our call to run, that it involves an honest self-assessment and a focus on the goal. And then number two, we see our call to walk. We see our call to walk. Look at verse 16 here. It says, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. Look at verse 17. Brethren, be be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Our pursuit of Christ involves us walking with him day by day. And it often includes us following another person's example. We should have godly examples. Look at verse 17 here. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so. As you have us for an example. When Who you follow matters. Who you follow matters. And, and guess what? We're all following somebody. Whether consciously or subconsciously, somebody is influencing us. Nobody is an island. You're going to be influencing or you're being influenced by others. Guaranteed. And who you follow matters. Paul here urges the believers in Philippi to follow godly examples. And this is not the first time he's brought this up. He's brought it up several other times in other parts of the book. In in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he points to his own example. In chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he points to Jesus as the ultimate example. This is not the first time Paul has, has talked about this about about imitating and about following godly examples, he tells them to not only follow himself, but he also tells them to mark others and to to watch and say, okay, I can follow that example. So-and-so is living a godly life. I can follow that example and to walk as they're walking. You know, we have to make it a point to make a note of other godly believers and follow their lead. The reason is that Paul follows God first. And we've seen that in, And I think it's 1 Corinthians where Paul says, Be followers of me as I am following Christ. And so we're to follow godly examples. But not only that, but Paul says there's some that we should avoid. There are some ungodly examples that we should avoid. Look at verse 18 and 19 here. So he says, Follow me and mark us so you have an example. But then verse 18 he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often... And now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You know it is important to note that these people here in verse 18 are described as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are not Christians that stumble and fall. These are not Christians that, that you know make a mistake and they try to gather things back together and move on. These are people that that are pretenders. These are people that are deceivers. You know what, these were really, these were the opposite of legalists. A lot of times, you know what, we we will tend to look at a legalist and say, you know what, that is the person I should not follow. And, And while that's true, this is not what Paul's talking about here. These were people that had made a profession of faith in Christ, but then continued on to celebrate in their flesh and indulge in whatever they desired. They were the type that would say, well... God's covered my sin now, and now I'm living under grace so I can live how I want. And I can do the things that I want. And that's why they were enemies of the cross of Christ. That's why Paul uses that phrase there. What is the cross of Christ? The cross is something we are to pick up. And we are to take that cross and we are to sacrifice ourselves and to follow Christ. And these are people that they had no interest in that. Paul warns about people that have no interest at all in dying daily. And following Christ Paul warns about them and says we are not to follow them he starts by describing their ending here he says their end is destruction you know at any time you live your life with complete disregard for what God has done destruction is ahead there's destruction ahead and then he continues here look at the description that he gives them here he says he continues with whose God is their belly you know this is not meaning that they spend all their time at the Golden Corral um, this is uh, the more general sense that their God is their belly. The idea here is that they just fulfill whatever desire they have whenever they have it. Their God is their belly. Whatever, the, whatever their flesh desires, that's what they do. They fulfill the flesh at every turn. They live for the pleasure of the body and the mind. Remember, God has called us to sacrifice ourselves, to die daily. That means I kill my own fleshly desires and I do what God wants But here these people live with their God as their belly. They just, whatever happens to pop into their head, whatever they want to do, that's what they do. And he doesn't stop there. He also says, whose glory is their shame. They glory in things they should be ashamed about. They celebrate that which offends God and should be avoided. Look, we all know or have been around these kind of people at some point in our life. You know, whether you've grown up in church or whatever the case is, even through Bible college and, and, and through my adult years, there's always that person that, that's a Christian. You, you know, They make a profession in Christ, but man, they seem to really celebrate the flesh. And they make those mistakes, and then they, they party about it. They like it. It's great. Hey, everybody laugh at what I've done. Everybody look at what I've done. It says, whose glory is their shame. They celebrate the things that they should be ashamed about. Don't get sucked into that excitement. Avoid those people. Avoid those examples, Paul says. Don't worship the God of your pleasures. Don't glory in your sin. And instead, we need to avoid those who do. Our eyes need to not be on the shame. We, we don't need to have our eyes on the failures and, and the sins and, and the flesh. Our eyes need to be up on Jesus. Lastly, Paul says, those who mind earthly things. He says they mind earthly things. These are those who don't consider the eternal at all. They don't ever consider the eternal. They don't ever consider the heavenly things, the kingdom things. Instead, they're worried about what's next. All right, what's next for me? What else can I buy? What else can I do? Where can we party tonight? You know, where's the fun? They don't, they mind earthly things. You know, there's nothing wrong with being excited about, you know, something that you've got, a vacation coming up or or, or getting together with some friends and having a good time. But be careful if your only excitement is the earthly things. Be careful if, if that's the only excitement you have. And I have to watch that. We all have to watch that. We all have to remember that it, if Monday through Friday or Friday night or Saturday night, whatever you have going on, or if those are the only things that you get excited about, and you don't get excited about spending time in the Word or, or gathering together with your connect group and fellowshipping, or coming here on Sunday morning, if you don't get excited about those things, there's probably a problem there. We need to focus on the heavenly things. We must mind the things of God. And so Paul says that we have to avoid these examples. Our call to walk is a call to walk with Him. And we have to avoid the bad examples. So we see our call to run, our call to walk, and lastly, our call to citizenship. Look at verse 20 here. So our call to citizenship... Uh, verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is, even, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know what, in contrast to that description we saw in verse 19, Paul here tells us that we should live with our heavenly citizenship in mind. He says, for our conversation, for our citizenship, for our life is in heaven. We're to live with those things in mind. This was at a time when the people in Philippi would have greatly valued their Roman citizenship. These, they were citizens of Rome at this time. Rome had conquered so, such a vast area. They, they had Roman citizenship and they would have valued that and they would have valued the benefits it brought. But yet Paul uses those words to remind them that, you know, as, while we are here on earth you may be a citizen of Rome, but your citizenship is in heaven. Your ultimate home is in heaven. And you know, while we have a lot of things that we have to tend for, while we have a lot of things that we need to cover for, while we have a lot of things to pay attention to and we've got work to do and bills to pay, our ultimate identity should not be in the things that we do here it should not be in the fun we have. It should not be in, in our lifestyle, in the cars we drive, or the houses we have, or our job. Our identity should be in heaven. And our identity should be as a citizenship of heaven. Paul here says, "You look, you're, you're resident aliens. You're, you're, you're an alien on earth. You're just passing through. Citizenship would determine the lives of... That they must live. It would determine the laws they follow. Because they were citizens of Rome, they would have certain laws they had to follow. Taxes they would have to pay. And there would be things that that would dictate how they conducted their lives. And likewise, our kingdom citizenship should dictate how we live. It should dictate how we live. It should change things. It should change things for me that I'm a citizen of heaven. And I shouldn't find so much enjoyment in some of the the things we do. We shouldn't place all of our worth here on earth and only live for the present. We have to live for what's in heaven. Verse 20 mentions that we look for the Savior. You know, when you look for the Savior to the Savior's coming and His future work mentioned in verse 21. Look here in verse 21, it says, or verse 20, From whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is even able to subdue all things unto himself. When we look forward towards the Savior's coming and we mind the things of heaven, our desires will be a whole lot less important. I won't place so much value on the things that I want and the things that I'm looking for. You know, we have to pursue Christ. We talk about a A pursuit of him and to do that you know what number one we needed an honest self-assessment some of us need to stop and just say okay you know what I made I, I wouldn't tell somebody to their face that I've made it if somebody came up to me and said hey have you achieved I would never say yeah I have but does my life reflect the fact that I know I haven't achieved You know, do the things I do and the way I live my life every day, does it reflect the fact that I have growing, or do I act like I'm good? Do I act like I've made it? We also need to focus on the prize. Just forget and run. I love that phrase, he forgets as he runs. He just goes. You know, and there's things we all need to leave in the past, whether it's our mistakes or our achievements. We need to leave those in the past. We need to follow after godly examples and avoid the bad ones. And then lastly, we need to keep our heavenly citizenship in view. You know, when we see Christ, we won't regret pursuing after him more. We'll never regret pursuing after Christ. You'll never find anybody on their deathbed that that would say, a Christian would say, you know what, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time in prayer. You know, I wish I wouldn't have witnessed so much. You won't find those things. We'll never regret pursuing Christ. Keep running until you finish the race and see Christ. Let's pray. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit KeystoneRDU.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.